good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It's good to feel the presence of the Lord with everyone. It's good to be with everyone. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 4. Um, I thought we were going to go to chapter 5, but I, I realized, hey, wait a minute, I've got another... We've got a whole nother Bible study here for the last section or the second section, if you will, um, a very important section of chapter four that uh, we should probably uh, not bypass. <clears throat> Although going through it, um, I, I think there's a lot of it we will bypass because I, I've, I have so many scriptures here that you probably uh, will not want to spend uh, the next hour just reading the verses so we're just going to just kind of bypass quite a few of the verses if you want them at a later time i will be happy to provide those but uh, they're all first john mostly not all of them but uh, anyway we're going to read first from verse 7 to 21 beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. There's a lot of ETH in there and the loveth and the knoweth. Um, we will talk about that in a minute. But verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him herein is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us so we ought also to love one another no man has seen god at any time if we love one another god dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in in God and God in him herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is made perfect in love we love him because he first loved us if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath, not, who he, he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, loveth, love his brother also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to talk about the perfect expression, or the expression of perfect love father you're wonderful we give you the glory and the honor we ask god today that you lead us and direct us and guide us lord there's so much in this passage father i've tried to condense it i've tried to uh, i've tried to boil it down lord jesus so that it doesn't take us a year and a half to go through and i ask you lord jesus to help us to grasp it i ask you lord jesus to help us to walk in and i ask you lord jesus to help us to 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 process it in our spirit jesus and not just in our mind and in our mouth. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone said amen. amen. Thank you for standing. God bless you. Okay, now, there, there is a lot of King Jamesy-ish um, speak, if you will, in this passage. Some, some of the King James, you know, you read through, there's a, lot of, there's a few these and thous, and, but, but then it gets to this loveth and dwelleth and believeth and all this um, E-T-H, the suffix at the end of, uh, of some of these words. I, I like to remind us 
because King James uh, doesn't tell us this right away, but I like to remind us that in the King James English or in the English of the 1600s, the complete English language, not the dumbed down version that we learn and speak today, but the complete English language had the suffixes of the E-T-H and even some of the I-T-H in uh, some of these um, uh, passages. That is not just because King James liked to um, have uh, everybody just talk about loveth and knoweth and believeth. and It wasn't because he wanted to, to just sound great with a nice cool accent. It's because it gives that word perpetuity. Now that's another English word that so, so many people don't understand. It means that it's forever and ever and ever. It continues, for, uh, continues forever and ever and ever. So if we just, if we just uh, read verse um, 7 uh, from, and verse 8 from, um, from the perspective of perpetuity without the ETH, it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that continues forever and ever and ever to love is born of God and continues forever and ever and ever to know God. He that continues forever and ever and ever to love not continues forever and ever and ever not to know God. That's how it would sound in today's um, dumbed down version. But um, so we need to recognize that uh, love and knowing God and loving God is going to, um, if without the ETH, Loving God and knowing God can be up and down. It can be turned on one day and turned off the next. But with the ETH, that suffix that's added to the end of this word, it allows for mercy to hold you in the days that you don't love and know. Because at the end, if you continue to love, you'll continue to know. If you continue to love, you'll continue to know. Because it's, it's a relationship with God, right? And every relationship is going to have ups and downs. You're going to love one day and not love so much the next day. But when you, when you keep on going with perpetuity, when you continue to continue and to continue, you're going to eventually, you're going to know a whole lot more than what you would if you just turned it on and off. And so we have to recognize in verse 12, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. His love is perfected in us. He continues to dwell in us. Now, um, I, I, I really, really um, recommend that you, you read the Scripture with that perpetuity in your mind, not just the loveth on your lips, if you understand what I mean recognize that you you uh, in verse 19 we love him because he first loved us okay there's no perpetuity at that point but the statement itself is pretty much forever we love him because he first loved us there's no we loveth him because he first loveth us because the context of that doesn't require the eth so we have to recognize in context. It's a little English lesson for us that, that so many people just cast aside and they, they decide to read a Bible that doesn't have that. And if you're reading a Bible that doesn't have that, it's okay to read that. It's fine to read from the English Standard Version or something like that. But you have to recognize, don't indoctrinate yourself on a half English language. Because... When the English language was complete like this, 
it had a lot of completion that we don't pay attention to today. We like to just cast it aside and then we're up and we're down, we're all around, and we just kind of, that's how we can walk away from God at any moment because we don't loveth. So um, the index of love, if you look at the in First John, um, the First John, the key word to the whole epistle of First John is love. The key word is love, uh, and and so when we when when we start to look at all throughout the contents of First John, you're going to see that John is is really speaking of love in a way that so many people don't get don't understand don't really want anything to do with let me just kind of as a side note and and maybe we'll deal with it a little later on but as a side note if you look at all of the 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 stupidity that goes on in our world it's because of love Uh oh really love is causing this it's not love causing it. It's a misconception of love that causes it. It's because people don't really fully understand. And, and, and you're going to go a whole lifetime trying to figure it out. But if we love like the Bible tells us to, we aren't going to have all the crazy stuff that goes on in our world. We're not going to deal with it. The anger... Of our world, the anger of our world is not because somebody punched us in the mouth. The anger of our world is because our love has been bruised. We've loved and haven't been loved in return. And so instead of loving, we turn the switch off and we start hating. And we start being angry. And we start fighting with one another. It's because our love has been bruised. It hasn't been the love of God. Um, It's amazing because everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be loved. But so many people don't understand what real love is. And so... They don't understand what it is to be loved. So anyway, we're, we're, there's some discoveries that, that should encourage us to seek after the expression of perfect love. And you're, like I said, you're going to go a lifetime, a lifetime learning these things. Love is all about giving and never taking. should probably write that one down. Because you're going to have to, you'll, you'll be reminded of that millions of times in your life. Love is all about giving. It's not about taking. Never about taking. For God so loved the world that He gave. Love never takes. Love always gives. Taking and receiving, I should say, are two different things. Love never takes. Love always gives. You say, well, if there's a giver, there has to be a a taker. No, if there's a giver, there has to be a receiver. Doesn't have to be a taker. Love always gives. And others will receive, yes. But when you receive, what is it that you are obligated to do in return? Give. We are a society of take. Give me, give me, give me. I'm taking what is mine. The only thing you really ought to be taking is what the devil has stolen from you. Everything else you ought to be receiving gladly with a grateful heart. The only thing you ought to be taking is what the thief came and took from you to begin with. 
You take back what he stole from you. But in chapter 3, we see something about brotherly love. In chapter 2 and 3 and 4, we see general concepts concerning love. In chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 2, we see the duty of love. The duty of love is indeed not in word. It's to love one another. It's to love one's neighbor. We see the love for God, the duty to respond to the love of God in chapter 3. We also see how a person knows he loves God in chapter 3 and proven by our love for one another in chapter 4. We see the importance of love in chapter 3 and, and uh, di- seven different things about the saint in chapter 4 that we read about and we'll try to, try to uh, touch base on. We see the love of God demonstrated in one supreme act in chapter 4. We see the love of God bestowed on saints in chapter 3. We see the love of God as the standard for man in chapter 4. And we also see the love of God versus the love of the world in chapter 2. We see perfected love by confession in chapter 4 and perfected love by keeping the word of God in chapter 2. We see that love proves, proves one is of God or of Satan in chapter 3. We went through that and the Spirit of God is within in chapter 4. A person is a child of God in chapter 3. A person really loves God in chapter 4. A person who really loves God and others in chapter 5. And we see that love proves six things in chapter 4 that we read through there and we'll try to touch on those things see the results of love um, that assures boldness in the day of judgment in chapter 4 deliverance from fear in chapter 4 see the results of love in the new birth in chapter 4 and we see the the results of love is the way that a person knows God in chapter 4 and also keeps God's commandments in chapter 5 and keeps a person from stumbling in chapter 2 and perfects the saint in chapter 2 and 4 two, chapters 2 4 and, and 4 it proves seven things in in chapter 4 that we read through and we'll try to touch on those things we are made to love others god ordained it so we're made to love others. If we're honest, <laughs> there's a notable desire in every one of us to love others. Not just to be loved, but to love others. John starts to look at this process of godly and sanctified love um, that is present in the saints of God. Uh, in, in perfect love, he talks about. In, uh, we we, we see that in, in the text that we read, uh, there's probably the longest single passage in 1 John primarily deals with the same subject. The following verses, we, we go through verse 12, 17, and 8. The love of God is perfected in us. The love, this love is made perfect, and this perfect love will cast out all fear. Now, when we start to understand this perfect love, um, the Greek word, the root word is teleos. It it means that it's it's whole or completely carried out. Perfect love is whole or completely carried out. No half-seas, if you will. No, I'll, I'll love you until this happens. It's it's a it's a complete, completely carried out. The same word is used when Jesus is on the cross and he says it is finished. It was that love that was completely carried out, carried out all the way to his final breath. John, he's course he's under the inspiration of the holy ghost here he's brought back to the majesty of the moment at calvary and we we john was the only disciple that was there at calvary the rest of them had scattered 
John was the one that was there. He was there with the mother of Jesus, with, with Mary, and, uh, and that other Mary, you know, Mary Magdalene, that, that we referred to as that other Mary. John was the only one that was there. And so he's brought back to that moment where Jesus completely fulfilled the love for mankind to redeem us. And he calls it perfect love. We all kind of have in our minds what perfect love is. But John is, is brought back to Calvary. To words that he didn't even pen. Words that the Holy Ghost gave to, to so many the other disciples as well. To write about it is finished. And John uses that same word when it talks about perfect love. Kind of scary when you think about perfect love will kill you. Yeah. Working with different 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 ones with with SISM, it's uh you, you you have a lot of different experiences and things and and uh yesterday I thanked I, I had a debrief yesterday, it was a very, very tough one. And uh and I thanked all of the responders. There was police and a doctor and um nurses and paramedics and EMTs and fire and and they were all sitting there and I thanked every one of them because it was a very difficult very very difficult one that uh, very difficult call that they had been on I thanked every one of them for for serving and I told them I says you know you guys really don't do this for a paycheck you do it to serve mankind you do it to serve different ones that you you may or may not know you're serving your community and i thanked him for it and i said but also serving people is the worst pain you'll ever endure what we deal with when we serve people, is incredibly, incredibly painful. It's pain that nobody else can really comprehend unless they serve people. But serving people is what God called us to do. And that's why so many people today are so angry because they served someone and it hurt so bad for serving those that one person or that that several people that hurt so bad to serve them that they turned it off but yet the pain of being angry doesn't help The pain of being angry does not calm or heal that pain of loving. And so we, we, we go through things and we, we deal with things and we, and we have to we have to talk it out, if you will, so that the servant can remain healthy enough to keep serving otherwise they will be so jaded by humanity that they won't serve anymore they will slaughter they just want to eliminate instead of appreciate and John is telling us, when, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, I still love you, even though you just crucified me. I still love you. 
And John is saying, that is perfect love. <coughs> when there's nothing else left to do or to accomplish, you just give it all. It's an expression of God in salvation. Romans 5, 5 through 8 says, Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us very familiar passage to us hopefully it will it will start ringing in your heart that God says love can kill you but we also know that unless we're crucified, we'll never live. We know that as a child of God, right? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In, in 1 John 2, 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. It's not a vague, emotional, high or low sort of infatuation, though. It's not. It's not some sort of infatuation. And that is where, that, that is where Christianity is today. They are on this infatuation ride, celebrating Jesus because Jesus is popular today. But when Jesus starts to say to the multitude, deny yourself and follow me, he's not going to be so popular anymore. You see it in a lot of people when they first come to the Lord. They, they come to the Lord because they're infatuated by the power. They're infatuated by the, by the worship. They're infatuated by the, by the presence of God. But, but as, soon as, as soon as the Lord starts dealing with them about following Him and walking with Him and what it actually is going to take and it's going to take the strength that it takes and it's going to take... You're, you're going to have to deny yourself... Then all of a sudden, he's, well, I, I, I've got my own goals and my own dreams. I've had people that sat in this very congregation tell me they can't make it to church because they've got a life to live. And obviously, they must be out there living it. If this is the life that we are given, I want to be giving it to Jesus. Because when you give it to the world, the world doesn't give a whole lot back. When you get what the world gives... It is miserable. So very miserable. It boils down to a deep level of commitment on our part, doesn't it? It oil always boils down to a deep level of commitment. And uh, among the millennials, commitment is a very, um, very seasonal thing. Commitment is seasonal. And that is, that is the, 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 the demographic right now that is making so many decisions. They're making very seasonal decisions. 
Now, I understand some seasonal decisions because we live in a very four-season geographical area. Anybody here just really loves spring? I do. Spring and summer, man, that's bring it on. That's where that's where my heart lives. I live in that arena of spring and summer. Uh, fall, I only like it when the harvest is done. But when the harvest is done, coming from a farming community, when the harvest is done, there's like a depression that comes over the whole area. Because it's like your purpose is done. You have to find something to give you purpose for the rest of the seasons until spring again. There are so many people that just shut down their life after harvest. I don't have anything else to do, so I'm just going to shut down. Some people just become snowbirds, you know. They get to a place in their life where they're, they, they enjoy shutting that down and going south for a while. But they, they're not the millennial. They're not the 30-somethings and the 40-somethings that are doing that. They're the late 50s and 60s and 70s that are enjoying some time off because they've worked so many years but when they're in their 30s and 40s and even their early 50s they're still charged up and they still have energy and they still want to be productive and that productivity starts to just drop and they have to find something else to occupy themselves If they don't find something else to occupy themselves, they're going to go absolutely crazy. Well, I know that from an agricultural background, but I also see that from a spiritual background. I see people like that in the church. I, I, I recognize that even in myself in the church that seasons come and seasons go when, when all of a sudden I feel such personal revival and I feel productive spiritually and I feel productive in the ministry and I feel productive in the church and I feel productive in the community and then all of a sudden something just kind of shuts right down and I just go into this funk, if you will, and I don't want to do anything but hibernate i don't want to see people i don't want to be seen by people i don't i i I read my bible and i pray but it's it's not the same it's not productive and i have to recognize i need to love god through it all and i need to stay committed to god through it all Because you are going to have seasons that are going to come and going to go. And what allows love to continue to grow is a deep commitment. Not a seasonal one. It's a deep commitment. If the love is truly perfected in us, There will be spiritual maturity that says, I made it before, I can make it again. Been down this road before, and I know that that there's light, if you will, at the end of the tunnel, right? And that spiritual maturity becomes evident in a way in in the way that a person continues to live their life they don't live their life in the here and now they don't live their life in the funk of today they live their life for the strength of tomorrow jesus died not in the not with the depression of the day he died with the joy set before him He endured the cross because of the joy 
set before him. And we've got to endure things because of the joy set before us. We've got to recognize there is a better day coming. Prayer avails much in a person that's committed. Understanding the Word of God prevails much in a person that's deeply committed. And they continue to fellowship with God and with the saints of God. They continue the fellowship. Everybody knows that sometimes you get together and it's, it's all laughs. Sometimes you get together and it's all tears. Sometimes you get together and it's kind of silent. You're just kind of sitting in the same room. Everybody knows that's how, that's how fellowship works. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that fellowship is, is unproductive because all fellowship is productive regardless of of whether you're laughing, crying, or just sitting quietly. Some of the old holiness writers, um, uh, they coined the term perfect love from this passage. That, that, that talk, if you read some of their writings, it becomes very clear that they believe that God very, very much empowered the saint of God with a strong stimulus to pursue things that are righteous and holy and give to godliness. They had this they had this strong stimulus to pursue. They wanted to pursue. And everybody knows that if you pursue long enough, you will catch the prey. God is not prey. But if you can if you pursue him long enough, you're gonna you're gonna catch him. Crazy thing is, he's not running from you anyway. He's not running from you. He's running towards you. He's more in pursuit of us than we are in pursuit of Him. But their description of perfect love would, would, would be despised today because of people's appetite um, for, for the, the world, their pe- people's appetite for the things of the world. Instead of their appetite for God, they've got an appetite for the things of the world. Perfect love in our lives will be marked by these characteristics, a pursuit of a clean heart and a right spirit from Psalm 51, an increasing hunger for God and the things of His Word in Hebrews 6 mark of sobriety about the way that we live our lives from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A constant repetition of a continuous and repeated baptism of the Holy Ghost in Titus chapter 3 and Jude 20. Our life would be marked by a quest for perseverance and endurance in the walk of the saint. We've forgotten how to endure with the onslaught of every kind of avenue, every, everywhere you go, you find pain relief. And I'm, I'm not opposed to aspirin and ibuprofen, don't get me wrong. But, but we, anybody, just, anybody just go to the counter in your local quick trip and there's so many types of pain relief right there at the counter. You go to any, I mean, Walgreens is a drugstore, and still they have pain relief at the cash register. It's like, it's like you walk through the store, at Walmart, anywhere you go, there's pain relief right there at the end of the line because, you know, paying that bill is you know, painful, right? But, uh, but, but every, everywhere you go, it's like, it's like you get up to the cash register, oh, look, there's pain relief. And in the recent years, there's, energy you can you can pay for pain relief and energy right there it's like you don't have to go anywhere else in the store if you want pain relief or energy you just go straight to the cash register pick it up and drop it down i need pain relief and i need energy 
That is the two main things. You know why they put that stuff right there at the cash register? Because those are the two things that people are looking for the most. Pain relief and energy. Those are the two things that people want today. And I don't know about you, but that screams to me about the condition of humanity. Every time I walk up there, I'm like, wow, there's Advil and Motrin and, and ibuprofen and, 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 you know, and then five-hour energy and uh, Aleve and, and, and uh, caffeine pills and all kinds of things. And I'm like, wow, pain relief and energy, that's what everybody wants. I don't know about you, but something, something screams at me. When I get there and I look at that, I'm like, wow. Yeah, right? Just, just give me a Reese's. <laughs> I want a dark chocolate Reese's. <laughs> but, 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 but pain relief and energy, that, 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 is, that, that yells, yells right in my face. I don't know if anybody else pays attention to that, but I sure do. They make it incredibly easy to access because they know this is what people want. And I don't know about you, but I, I probably do get a little bit of a headache walking through shopping. If I'm, if I'm grocery shopping, I seriously get a headache, but they don't have anything there that's going to take away the headache I have. My back is killing me. Everything's killing me. And I'm walking through the store and I'm thinking, woof, duh. It's a chore. But anyway, this, the, passage, the, the passage we read identifies several aspects of love. It's important to understand that there is a, it's an escalation of spiritual maturity that takes place. There's an escalation of it that takes place. And... Um, and so each one of these different kinds of love that, that we, we, we kind of bounced up, uh, brotherly love and unfeigned love and abounding love and serving love and perfect love, each one of these different kinds of love the apostle is mentioning, it's clear these types of love will have to be hammered out through our lives. We're going to have to hammer them out. They don't come naturally. I'll just say it. You can have you can have a Holy Ghost from from the tip of your toenail all the way to the tips of your hair. And you're still going to have to hammer out love. You're still going to have to uh, to work that stuff out. It doesn't come naturally now i do believe that when we are filled with god's spirit when we when we i I do believe that we are baptized with love as soon as we're filled with the holy ghost i do believe that but i also recognize that we fight with that and the people that fight the most are the ones that have been hurt the most So we're going to have to hammer these things out. But let's look at the details of perfect love a little bit, just, just, just for a little bit because we, we're running out of time. There, there's some details of this perfect love that John writes about. and It has a lot to do with fellowship. In, in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, it talks about love denotes true fellowship. We belong to a community of believers. Love is going to denote fellowship. When you love one another, you want to hang out with them. You want to hang out with them. There's just something about the love of God. You, you may not even know the person that you're hanging out with, but there's something about the love of God that makes you want to just belong to a community of believers. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 19 talks about love is the evidence of sonship. We belong to the family of God. First, we belong to the community of believers. Secondly, we belong to the family of God. It is why we call each other brother and sister. 
and uh, it is because we belong to the family of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, which we read this morning, love is manifestation of God actually living in us. Love's a manifestation of God actually living in us. He, he dwells in us. And since God is love, love dwells in us. Anybody here, when, when you came into the church, start getting just a little bit slobbery? Some of, if, you, if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's very difficult now. You just, you just, you, different things just make you tear up. It's not because you're, you're hurt. It's because, it's because of the, the absolute love that you're feeling. And, and uh, you know, I just, I just always thought that was kind of weird. People, you know, crying over this or that. But my goodness, now... If you're hurting, I'm hurting. And I hate it. <laughs> it's like I, I can look at somebody and if they're hurting, I have to just kind of look away. I have to, I have to just kind of redirect myself. Otherwise, I'm just going to be a slobbering, blathering, crazy man. I'm going to start bawling my eyes out and I'm going to be mad at myself because I don't understand what in the world's wrong with me. And that never happened to me until God dwelled in me. When the Lord started dwelling in me, it's like... It affected so much in my life that that it, I mean it was it was proof it proved to me yep God's there because here I am caring about things that I have nothing to do with loving people that I don't have any idea who in the world they are I know nothing about their life and yet here I am just loving them to pieces. And I feel like, what is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong. It's just kind of how God does. There's an escalating process in just in these passages. We belong to community of believers. We belong to the family of God. And we recognize God dwells in us. It's an escalation. John's pressing home the points about perfect love. Doctrine and love have to be linked hand in hand. When you talk about doctrine and you talk about love, they have to be linked. You could talk about the doctrine of love, and yet a lot of people, they, it's, all it is is just a, 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 a page of rules about how you ought to love somebody. And a lot of people, they read First John, and it's, it's the doctrine of love. And it is, it's the doctrine of love. Don't get me wrong. It's the doctrine of love. It is the teaching of what we ought to do. But that teaching has to actually be linked with the living. Being taught something and actually living that thing that you're taught are two different things. Many people can describe the text, but they cannot tell you what it feels like. There are people that have read about the gift of the Holy Ghost for decades. They've read about it, but they can't tell you what it actually is because they know what the doctrine is. They know what the text says, but they don't have the experience to join their heart and their head, and their soul with the text. A lot of people can tell you about what the Holy Ghost does, but then they, then they go on and say, well, well, that was for then. You know, that was back in the book of Acts. That, that's where it started, but that's not where it stayed. It is still today. You can still be filled with God's Spirit today. Hallelujah. 
That is what happens when, when a person is speaking in other tongues. It's because that Spirit is, is moving in them. It's because they've been filled with that wonderful Spirit of God's grace and love and mercy and the wonderful Spirit of God. That happens today. It's not just for back then. It's for today as well. And the doctrine of the Holy Ghost for then is the same as the experience of the Holy Ghost today. The doctrine of love in the first John is the same as the experience of love in 1 John. And it has to be hand in hand or it doesn't work. It doesn't work unless they're linked hand in hand. The doctrinal tests pertain to our view of sin and what Jesus Christ and the moral tests have to do with obedience to the commandments and our love for one another and for God. You know, the Bible commands us to love one another, but if that command isn't actually living and active in our lives, it's not really working, is it? We have to allow it to work. We may know about the doctrine of the new birth, but until you experience a new birth, all it is is just a doctrine. We may know about conversion, but until we've experienced conversion, it's just a doctrine. We may know about love, but until we experience love, it's just a doctrine. The Word of God is a living doctrine. It's an experimental doctrine. It's experiential is the word I'm looking for. It's an experiential doctrine. It's not just a text. To so many people, the Word of God is nothing more than just text. They'll study the text. And there's nothing wrong with studying the text. But they won't study the text with a desire for the experience. They study the text for a knowledge of the text. I don't want a knowledge of the text more than I want a knowledge of God. And the only way I get a knowledge of God is by, what was it? Loveth. He that loveth God knoweth God. Okay, so the reasons we are to love, and, and I'm, I'm going to try to just go through this list quickly, but I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to dive into them too, too deeply because we're going to kind of end right there. I'm just going to give you the reasons we are to love, and this is what we'll cover next week. It is the nature of God, first and foremost. It's the nature of God. Um, it is shown in the cross, secondly, and um, and then thirdly, it's the testimony of the saint. It's also the witness of the Spirit. And then we will end with how love creates confidence. That's where we're going to stop for today. Because if I get started on this next portion, we're going to be here forever. And you guys are hungry, I think. At least you're looking hungry. Should we stand and pray? Holy God, you're wonderful. You're awesome. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor, Jesus. And I thank you. Thank you, God, for your goodness today. Thank you, God, for your spirit. 